0: This week on Invasion of the Podcast it's another year of the knockoff. We're looking at 1978 Superman and 1981's Condor Man. You will believe a man can fly and the other one is Condor Man. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship just a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. <laughs> And welcome to Evasion of the Podcast, where we take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and as always with me is Steve.
1: Hello again, everyone.
0: And again, we're doing another year of the knockoff. I know we did this a couple weeks ago uh, as a full episode, and we liked it. So we feel that some of this conversation needs to be longer than 20 minutes, and you guys need to hear us talk about longer than 20 minutes. Maybe not. I don't know. But I want to devote more time to the, the film that we believe is, you know, put up on a pedestal for a reason and then the film that tries to reach up and grasp and fall and fail miserably. That kind of tips my head about Condor Man a little bit. But <laughs> um, last last week when I pitched it to Steve um, about the doing another year of the knockoff, because we try to do one of these once a month. And I think that's what we're gonna do for the rest of the year is have a couple regular shows in the year of the knockoff to talk about these films in particular. And we have some fun ideas coming up and we'll get to those later. Um, I mentioned uh, Condor Man. Well, actually, you mentioned Puma Man. Um, yes. And that's an Italian superhero film that is uh, one of my favorite episodes of Mr. Science Theater 3000, and I just said that I could not sit and watch Puma Man with Donald Pleasance, which he's great. I can't. I couldn't watch that without the commentary. I feel like that would kill me. So I mentioned Condor Man, and you're like, what is that? And I showed you a fan-made trailer that still doesn't really do the movie any favors, and you're like, let's just do that. So... Yeah. Um, after watching the film and we'll get more into Condor man later, it's not entirely, uh, chasing Superman, but as Steve put it, when I showed him the trailer, this movie would not exist without Superman. And I completely agree. So, um, yeah, I, we've talked about so far, like, uh, you know, Conan, the barbarian knockoff. We talked about a Friday 13th knockoff, but I feel like superhero movies are more in our wheelhouse. Yeah. A little bit more so. Um, 1978 Superman, the Richard Donner film with Christopher Reeve and um, Gene Hackman, you know, and Ned Beatty and some other people. Uh, that is until, I guess, until 1989's Batman came out, that was kind of the gold standard for superhero films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like. <sighs> It's still held up there as like one of the better comic book films. I, I would think so.
1: I still think it's actually one of the ones that is kind of the gold standard. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was made forty years ago, and yes, it certainly shows some of its age. But I still think that it's one of the best made comic book movies that we've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it just so i it's it's interesting to go back and look at this time because this was a big budget film. Uh, what was it? Whoever come company Universal I think produced it was it Universal or Paramount for uh, Superman? Superman yeah
1: Superman I mean it was produced independently but Warner Brothers
0: had a distribution deal that's it. right so um it, it it was when it was put together it had you know, this large budget one of the largest budgets at the time for a film because the idea was to make it and the sequel at the same time because they believed enough in the project that they felt that they could make both and just have them ready to go and so a lot of, a lot of thought and effort went into making this film and you didn't see that. Cause I went, when I went to go kind of like do kind of a deep dive for superhero films up to this point. Yeah, you have a few, but like I, in the seventies, you had a lot of made for TV, like the captain America made for TV film, the Spider-Man films that came out. Uh, there wasn't high quality like Batman 66 might be the last like one that we think of before this and that was complete camp you yeah. know so it was more of, of an extension of the tv series but not the comic and so this one and I apologize we decided to do some drinking before we got into Condor Man because we needed it so I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little uh, little burpy talking about about the uh, I'm so mixed up here with all my emotions um so I it was It was interesting to go back to a large, big budget superhero film, because I feel like with the exception of Superman and Batman, there weren't too many uh, attempts at the comic book slash superhero film that were taken seriously up until, I don't know, the late 90s.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, there were certainly other attempts when you're looking at like the from Batman 89 on there's certainly um your uh the shadow uh there was uh tank girl um uh,
0: there was I forgot about tank girl yeah. I, I don't know why I should I shouldn't have but I forgot No about, yeah. I
1: mean but I mean there were other attempts but nothing that was on the scale of either Batman or Superman nothing ever elevated past that
0: so like even like something like the rocketeer which is more pulp like yeah. that was kind of attempt at kind of doing something like that. Uh, uh Blade, I know, which I know we that's my my admission. I've not seen the blade films. I know that also did pretty well. But then it was it was until and, and you mentioned this before we started recording it, I don't think it was really until um, Batman Begins and like the Sam Raimi Spider Man films. Did you get and even the first X Men film? Yeah, those were all kind of around the same time of each other. That's when it kind of started picking back up again and being treated more. And I mean, and, and serious. What I mean by serious, I mean like like thought and effort and love for the the characters and the, and what why people like them I feel like that was more put in there as opposed to it's a comic book movie people aren't going to care this is just for kids and Superman definitely is a family film even though there are some weird moments of abuse in the movie that I feel like adult like there's a bit in the film where Superman saves a cat out of a tree. Tells the little girl, here you go, here's your cat. And then she goes inside, and this is off camera. She's like, oh, Superman came and got my cat out of the tree. And then you hear a smacking noise, and the mom's like, <laughs> what do I tell you about lying? Like, I it's, it's a comedic beat, but it feels weird now that, like, yeah. you know, it's like, I'm just going to openly hit you because you lied to me. Um, but the film had more of a, it, it definitely was trying to be like a wide ranging, appealing, you could take your whole family to see this film.
1: Yeah. And I mean, one of uh, Richard Donner's, I, th- I think it was actually, um, he mentions on one of the documentaries on the making of um, verisimilitude. Uh, that word was sort of his whole goal with the movie, meaning like keeping it um, true to the, the concept and true to the world that it's set in. Um, and I think that that works really well with the original Superman. And I think Anytimes, times, and granted, as comic book fans, we certainly do get touchy whenever something has changed. Like I remember with the original Spider Man that Sam Raimi did, you know, there was a whole like debate about the organic shooters versus, you know, mechanical web shooters. And then when the movie came out, nobody cared. But nope. like before that, everybody was up in arms that, like, oh, I can't believe he's going to have organic web shooters. You know, so, but, you know, granted, we are certainly anytime that there's a um small minute change we're certainly aware of it uh but with something like i'm trying to think of you know something where they drastically changed the the you know the material and it hurt it for the worst superman (laughs) 2 well i mean superman 2 is that oddball case in the sense that you know most of it had been filmed by donner and then they went in and because and I, I don't know. Uh, we're not really going to recap the actual story of the film because the 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 ending with him turning back the world, the spinning the world around to turn back time
0: was originally supposed to be the ending for two. See, I didn't know that until I was yeah. reading about it today, which I have not seen two in a long time. And, and we're not talking about two. We're talking about one. But I know there was a lot of because they're shooting them back-to-back, and Richard Donner ran into some problems, and like, you guys should go read the whole history of the producers for the Superman films. They, they deserve their own film for yeah. their complete, utter ridiculousness and shadiness of how they operated, because uh, I don't necessarily blame uh, Richard Lester for what he did. I feel like even though he went in and kind of, he shot a lot more to, for Superman 2 to get the director's credit, but now knowing that he was owed a ton of money by the producers for the previous work that he did. Yeah. I feel like he was kind of going on be like, I'm going to get my name on something so I can get paid. And and, and granted that didn't make the strongest film, but I can understand his motivation, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a weird like environment in which the second film, even I know you have, you, you have the Donner cut of the second film available and mm-hmm. in, in your your uh, for me to see it. I haven't watched it yet. So I've not seen the, the, the more preferred film. Um, but I know Donner, uh, had problems with uh the production whatever so the ending about turning back time they, they the first movie was supposed to end on a huge cliffhanger yes and 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 so they're but they're like at a certain point they're like well we don't agree let's finish the first film and if it tanks we're never going to make a second one anyway so they didn't want to end on a cliffhanger
1: yeah and i think it's a uh, tom mankowitz who was brought in to basically be the script doctor for the two movies um and I, I believe Donner's actually gone on record saying he should actually be listed as the writer for the film simply because of the fact that he did so much rewriting that, like, the films are pretty much his in terms of, like, being written. You know, Macken said, you know, had the movie tanked and they were still going to finish too, they probably would have had Donner return just to punish him. <laughs> but, like, as soon as it did well, they let go of Donner. And I think that, that, that certainly that... Uh, I don't want to say that difference, but that him being let go can be felt in the second one where some of the areas where it's like there's a little something off from what was originally achieved in the first one. Um, And again, I don't want to get into reviewing the second one (laughs) and talking about the Donner cut, but I will say that, uh, you know, Mankiewicz also said that had three directors would not have been able to pull off what Richard Donner was able to do. Like Richard Donner was literally running from set to set to set to try and get all this stuff because they were filming for two movies and not one.
0: Yeah, which is kind of kind of unheard of. I mean, you hear about it now, like even to kind of get some framing, some context, like the Russo brothers shot infinity war and Avengers four back to back. And even though we know Avengers four isn't coming out for another year and a half, they did all that together. Cause they knew that they had everybody just plan it and make it make sense. You know? Yeah. So that is still a huge undertaking. And even back then it might even be bigger just because that really hadn't been done in the sense of like, even though there's been, sequels made and they've been plans it's like, but the knowledge of basically shooting one huge like it's basically one huge movie you're gonna break into yeah um that's daunting and then watching and so surprising to me um watching this movie for the first time with pretty much fresh eyes i, I remember growing up and watching it but i didn't remember much about the film there is a lot of style and substance put into the the creation of this film. And it's not just because of like, you got a guy that was flying and everything. And we'll get more into that later there. there, There's quiet moments like when they're at the Kent household and there's a bit where young, young uh, Clark is out in the field after his father passes away and his, and, and Ma Kent comes out to talk to him just the way the camera moves around them while they're in this field. And like the sunset or the sunrise, it's gorgeous. Like you, like if you didn't know that she's talking to an alien son of Krypton, you would just think that this was any other dramatic film of you know high quality about you know a son realizing his place in the world and a mother letting go of him. Like, even though I find it weirdly timing that his his you know his dad passed away and he's like, oh, I couldn't help him. I gotta go. Sorry, older mother that's now handling a farm by herself. That seems kind of like a dick move, but whatever, I'll forgive it. Um, it was still like there was there was some um, there's just you can tell when a director knows what they're doing and they have, have a control. And I feel like pretty much until the last 15 minutes of Superman, that control is in place the entire time. And it's, it was refreshing. Even it was, it surprised me watching the film because realizing that like the first, like you, you did not get the Superman in full until almost the halfway point in the film, which kind of makes sense. But the first half of the film feels like an entirely different story than the second half of the film.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I again, I keep going back to the documentaries on the disc. Um, so if you guys have those and you haven't watched any of the documentaries on it, please watch those. Those are just as entertaining as the movie. But again, Tom Mankiewicz, uh, who is the writer, talks about like just how the film was kind of broken down almost into thirds in the sense that like you start off on Krypton. So you have, you know, that very Shakespearean tone, that very um, alien world. And then it kicks into Norman Rockwell with him living, growing up in Kansas on the farm. And then, you know, the last part is he makes it to Metropolis and it's current day. And it's very much uh, comedic in some ways, but also very. I don't want to say comic-y because,
0: like... It's pulpy. Yeah. It feels pulpy. It it feels like action comics. Like, when you think of the the very first image of Superman holding up the car... Yes. Even though they didn't do this in the film, it's the whole, like, you know, he is there to save the day, and he... (laughs) Yeah, it, it definitely felt more like a comic book as opposed to a film, which the first two-thirds of it felt like.
1: Yeah, and you know, and I, I want to also make note of the fact that I'm not using that as a derogatory term, because I think sometimes when people use that, they use it in a shitty, like, ooh, it's a comic-y moment. Like, it, it's, it's based on a comic. It should have that. It should feel of that world. Um, and that goes back to Donner's whole thing about verisimilitude. Um, and... You know, the look of the film as well, a lot of that is uh, Jeffrey Unsworth, who I believe this was his last film. He was, um, you know, the, uh, I can't remember, I want to say he's a cinematographer. Yeah, he's a cinematographer. I I couldn't remember if it was the director of photography or cinematographer, uh, or if I was mixing up my title.
0: He made it look pretty.
1: Yeah, um, there's certainly a look to that film that is unlike any other film i think that i've ever seen um everything's sort of in a soft focus
0: in a lot of ways but also that that feels like a late 70s type of aesthetic which is okay that's okay because um you know and I, i i am not the one to get into um like the the new wave of 70s films and how they kind of pushed edges and tried to advance forward the, the film, it, you know, it was released in, you know, what we, I'm sorry, we said 1978, right? So mm-hmm. it definitely was of its time. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, that's not a bad thing. And like you say, like, you know, how the, the comic tone isn't a bad thing. The look of this isn't a bad thing either. There, if, if, even with soft focus, like it, it humanizes Clark. And because um, the very beginning of it, like when they're on uh, Krypton or as Marlon Brando says, Krypton. Um, as much as that feels like that feels like seventy sci-fi, it feels seventy sci-fi as All Get Out, and yeah. it, I love it. I, I was watching the—I I forgot how long they were on Krypton to begin with, and the whole trial of Zod and his his uh, co- you know accomplices, which I forgot that that even was in this movie because I'm like, aren't they in the sequel? And then realizing that it was supposed to be a bigger story, um, like I like all that. I like the set. I love the whole crystal look. I like just it, it, it all it all felt very 70s but it also felt felt very alien and i dug that but it's all also very soft focus too like it's very soft focus gives it almost a dreamlike feel to it and this is a movie involving a man that's basically a god so if that doesn't feel a little dreamlike i don't know why you know i, I think you're missing your mark yeah
1: um you know and the other thing that uh and I mean, you were talking about that scene where he's standing uh, on the farm and it's this gorgeous sort of landscape. And, um, you know, in the same sense, uh, the scene prior to that, before his father passes away, one of the things that I think works so well about that movie is the logic to it in the sense that, uh, and I may have mentioned this on a previous show where we were talking about Man of Steel, but, you know, Man of Steel presents Paul Kent's death as this thing that... uh you know, he tells his son not to save him, and he's 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 telling him to do that in a, in a scene which a tornado is happening, and it's the one sort of freak of nature thing where if he survived and was saved by Clark, it would be easily be explained as like this freak occurrence where it's like man <laughs> survives tornado, like because that stuff does happen. Yeah, um, ends up in bill uh, of Dreams. Yeah, and but what's genius about the original Superman is is that scene is him talking with his father having a heart to heart and his father suffering a heart attack which is the you know one of the things that superman can't stop you know well he
0: could fly around the world backwards and stop i guess time. yes <laughs> he he wanted to in that sense but like no that's that's it's a good moment because they, they established that pac can has a heart issue Whenever the 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 ship crashes first, because his his wife is like, you know, be careful. Yeah. And he's like, oh, whatever, because he's changing the tire. So then he has this like, you know, nice moment of just like, you know, hey, I know you can do these things, but you're you're meant for a bigger purpose. And then then Clark runs off to the barn to go play with the dog. And then, you know, Pa can't realizes that something bad's going on. It's a very quiet moment. And it's you don't as much as you see the shattering of you know clark and his mother you know and, and there's the, the the funeral after where he's like of all my powers i couldn't save him right i still feel like that, that moment is played so so quietly because i mean it that is that is real life like you you don't know when that stuff's going to happen you could be walking up the road talking to your son and that's it you're done and i i feel like that is played much more quietly even though you could have any number of Batman films where you have the dramatic music and slow motion of his parents getting shot over and over and over again. This this feels very again it humanizes and feels very real. And I forgot all about that, and I really appreciated it.
1: Yeah, it's just a, it's a very earnest moment that I think speaks to character much more. And I don't want to go into a comparison between Man of Steel, but I think it just—it's one of those things that works far better in this iteration of the the character or film than the other. Well, considering
0: Um, that he was only in two scenes in the film, realistically, right? The father, right? Like they found they found the naked boy in the field and then whatever, and it's like you know just naked as a Jaybird, uh, and the mother's like, you know what? We could keep him. Like, <laughs> like he's like, I don't know about. This. She's like, no, you know how much we wanted kids. It's like, yeah, but he was just in a, a star that hit the earth. That's fine. We'll keep him. Like right. I, that logic will always be kind of bewildered me a little bit. But then again, one of my favorite superhero characters got bit by a spider and can walk up walls. So I have to let that go. Um, he so he was only in like Paw Kent was only in the film for I don't know, maybe maybe five seven minutes and but his 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 loss and his um his guidance is what shapes the rest of the film right and i mean you know and again i don't
1: want to keep going back to this but i'm going to because i'm a dick um (laughs) man of steel you know paul kent's whole position is don't let people know that you're special like Superman at one point even says to him, Do I let people just die? And he's like, Yeah, I guess so. Like
0: I, I feel like I, I yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like he was not a like he was a good dad because he took the alien kid in. Yeah. But he wasn't a good dad, being like, you know what, you have talents and abilities, don't let anybody know about them. Right. And that
1: whole <laughs> Don't scene believe in, in- yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene in the original is about his dad saying, you know, look you were put on this earth to do something far better than just you know score touchdowns and like (laughs) it's a great summation of who that character is
0: well and it's also and that's also followed by one like one of the more awkward moments where clark's running beside a train and i I don't feel like that effect (laughs) is held up very well (laughs) because it it looks like he's kind of high stepping running by a train as opposed to running at full speed
1: it's interesting the way they film that because they actually filmed him on wires running yeah um, and that's a an, a really interesting look, but he's above the ground, so it, it when you look at it that way, it does look like he's not. It's a,
0: it's a little weird, yeah. You know? um, but but yeah, I like it, it. Just it's it's almost kind of like how in the new Spider-Man film, whenever um, he it was in Civil War or whatever it was, he was talking to, when Peter was talking to, to Iron Man, where he's like, well, he's like, he's like, I could, you know, I could throw touchdowns now, but he's like, but I couldn't before. It's not the same thing, but it's kind of like this whole like, I know who I am. And it's more important that I don't go and kind of show off because there's more important things to do, and I think that's what Pa Kent was talking about. I appreciate that. So, like the first, the first, um, you know, first half of this movie, it, it's it's really good. It's really it's really good table setting, and then you get you get Clark like when you actually I don't want to over, um, overshoot this because you mentioned this before we start recording. Uh, you have Clark going as basically his journey to the North Pole to throw the green crystal. I don't know why he knows that. yeah, there's that's a lot never of implied- really explained. Yeah. I just
1: it was one of those things that I just always. Kind of accept it because I'm like, well, it's the Fortress of Solitude, and I have to accept it. So
0: it's like it's like I heard a story once when I was in high school, um, that this teacher was telling us about how how like um how marketing can affect things and how his mother would get detergent, but because the detergent would be all white, but there'd be like these little blue flecks in it, she would keep all the blue flecks separate, thinking they're more powerful because there were not as many. So she saved them for like bigger loads of laundry. <laughs> I don't know where she got this thought at, but she did. So I feel like the green crystal he's like, that's the special one. I would have saved that and throw it at the north pole
1: in my brain i just always thought that like for whatever reason it's something that he saw and like his kryptonian instinct k- kicked in and, and i'm that's fine com- with that yeah. it's <laughs> completely me rationalizing it i i will admit he that he was
0: bombarded with marlon brando talking for two three four years and the star pod as yeah. it's flying through the universe as a baby. And I like how Marlon Brando's character of um, uh, Jor-El, right? Because Because, yes. uh, yeah, I always get those flipped around. Not to be confused with Marlon Bundo. Mon- the, <laughs> uh, bunny. Yeah, the, the, uh- the rabbit, yeah. But Marlon Brando, who I like that he would only work 12 days on set, but somehow they were able to record like seven hours of dialogue of him just talking to a baby in a in a star bubble flying through the universe where he's just like, here's all the known knowledge of man and this poor kid's like, I just want to sleep. I guess I gotta listen to Marlon Brando talk for hours. Well you sorry, didn't... years
1: <laughs> Do you know about the thing about Brando was is a lot of his later work, he would not memorize lines. No. And yeah. they would like literally put the script up on places where the camera wouldn't see. Yeah. That he could read.
0: That's he did he did cue cards for Superman, um, which is surprising because like his his actual performance is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's a strong performance. Like it's it's almost like he knows he's good. He doesn't care anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it was like it was weird. Like, but it's also when he he had the spit curl like hairdo, which I guess Kryptonians just have that when they're all Kryptonian. Because how would Clark know? Well, wait, no, he saw him. He saw an image. How would how would uh, Jor El be able to record all this information? so quickly knowing that his world was about to collapse. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Like, how did he become Google for Superman and be able to answer any questions about any topics of any subjects while Superman was in the Fortress of Solitude? I feel like I kind of got to accept it because I feel like that's part of Superman lore. But the further we go on with information technology management, it it makes less and less sense.
1: Well, I I believe it's Susanna York is the actress who plays his mother, uh, Clark's mother. Not Marlon Brando's. Um, But, uh, you know, she at one point, you know, did point out, she's like, you know, the dad seems to be doing an awful lot. What is the... The mother is basically not doing anything. (laughs)
0: That's right. I forgot about that. You
1: know, and she does pop up in the second one, but that was simply because they were unable to use the footage of Brando, apparently. Yeah, well, he was suing the producers
0: because of the revenue from the first film he felt he was owed. It's like, you were all set for 12 days and didn't memorize lines. Also, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I... um so this film was shot pretty much all over the world for various reasons. Um, and, and this is, this, this is one of those things that kind of resonates today, thinking about how it affected Superman, but how, if this was something today, it would end the careers of a lot of people. Marlon Brando found out that he could not film in Italy because of a warrant out for his arrest for a sexual obscenity scene charge from the film last Tango in Paris. And there, i'm not going to get into it here because it's not appropriate but if you read about what that film is and what he did there that's on on film it, it's like that would end like this is way above harvey weinstein bad like but he did this for a film so he couldn't go to italy to film right so then production moved to england but then um there's another another person that couldn't work there because they were a tax exile because england raised their was the original director yeah yeah <laughs> So it's like someone's like I'm dodging taxes. Yeah, well, I got a sex thing. I'm going to get arrested for. It's like, but we're going to make a movie about this guy who fights for truth, justice in the American way. Right. You know? So <laughs> that that felt that felt oddly weird to me.
1: Well, I mean, that was also part of the marketing in the sense that uh, you know they didn't really care the Salkanines who were the producers. They didn't really care so much about who was going to be in the movie in the sense that like, whether they were good choices, but it was like, we got Marlon Brando and we paid him a buttload of money. So he's going to be in it. And yeah. we got, uh, um, Gene Hackman who don't get me wrong. Gene Hackman's wonderful in the movie. Um, but like
0: he's punching way, way above what this film is the entire time. <laughs> I love it.
1: But you know, it, it's funny because it's like, you know, he, he was hired, but like, y- it was more of a marketing tool than, like, is he right for Lex Luthor thing, where you would probably see more of a, um, a, a definite, like, you know, at least in the way that films have to deal with, you know, their work now. Um, you know, your Robert Downey juniors your Benedict Cumberbatches, you know, that kind so of thing.
0: Speaking of bad people that should be punished... I- Like, what did you feel, like, this is not related to this film, Kevin Spacey as Luther in Superman Returns. I thought that was wonderful casting at the time.
1: I did, too. Um... Because I thought you were like Robert Downey Jr. needs to be punished. What? Well, um, no, he no. <laughs> he's been through some shit too. Let's not let's not
0: like mince words, but, but I feel like uh, he's done a lot to repair his image over the past like ten or so years.
1: I'm one of the few defenders, and I get the criticism of Superman Returns. I cannot at all, in the sense, like defend Superman Returns. I can just say that I like it just because it's not a bad it, movie. It, it's it's just it's slow, and there isn't anything for him to fight. So it's a lot of him just. Being Superman from 78, but also being a little bit mopey um, <laughs> in the sense that he can't be with Lois and she has a son and he doesn't realize it's his son. And um, But the long story short on that is, is I really liked Kevin Spacey's performance in that. I thought that he was a great choice. Um, in light of that, I have not, or in light of recent events, I have not sat back and watched his movie, that movie again. Because the, the,
0: the it's hard. It's, it's hard to hard go to, back. Yeah, and I had that. I had that talk with um with El Goro uh on a talk without rhythm when he was on our our show about separating the art from the artist, and yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Um, just in terms of the casting alone, at the time when it happened, I thought that was a good move to have Kevin Spacey play Luther. Uh, but he was also kind of channeling because I know Superman Returns was trying to be picking up after Superman 2. Yeah. Like, so he was trying to also kind of lead off of Gene Hackman a little bit. But Gene Hackman, like, let's just talk about that. Like, his Luther, which doesn't show up until more than halfway through the film, he ends up like just chewing up the rest of the movie and i'm not again that's not a bad thing i think he was great at it he straight up kills a cop i think people forget about this because um he it's sends comedic a, in the it, sense it, that he does it it's funny but he kills a cop yeah because uh ned Beatty's character uh otis uh, otis otisberg is that that's not his last name what's well, otis yeah it was but he goes and sneaks yeah. his otis otis underground lair. well there's because there's otisberg because yeah everybody has it that's it's all phonetic right um and that ties into Condor Man later. We'll get there. Uh, but, you know, he sneaks into the underground lair, and it's like this little false door. And then the cop goes up to it, and then he's just like, no, I'm just going to take that door and push it and push him out into the front of a subway train. And then the, one, the the cop's partner comes over and just picks up the hat, and it was like, <sighs> like that's not your reaction. Your reaction right. is, Luther, I know you're nearby you're done. You just killed a cop. We know you killed a cop because it wouldn't just be like this cop wandering along the lines being like, Oh, this is a train track. I wonder if a train will wander by eventually. No, Luther kills somebody straight up and they gloss over it as a joke, you know, but I love that he has his underground lair that is like a decadent underground lair that would then eventually fall to ruin. And the Ninja Turtles would end up occupying later. It feels like, (laughs) like it feels like in the first movie, they ended up there. Um, and I like I, I like that he's like, but it's practical. I like that he's like I'm gonna live in this life lifestyle of everything I want, I'm, but I'm not gonna pay the prices to live above ground. That's stupid. I love how that was painted. When yeah. he's like, any, he tells Mrs. Uh, Tesmacher, mm-hmm. uh, he's like, any lady would kill to have the address. She's like, what 200 feet below or whatever she says. He's like, it doesn't matter. And I appreciate Gene Hackman carries so much like superiority, but charisma. Mm -hmm. I I really, really liked his Luther in this film.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two things to note about that scene. One is is the partner, um, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but if you are somebody who watches Richard Donner's films... That is his cousin, I believe, it, and he's also the chief in all the Lethal Weapons movies. That's so perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's funny that he always seems to cameo in Donner's films in different ways. Um, it's kind of like the Wilhelm scream. So whenever I'd see him in a Donner film, I'd be like, "Hey, it's you know." It's the Ted Raimi. Yeah, <laughs> of those films. I like that. So, uh, but him and uh, but uh, Gene Hackman and Ned Beatty also had tremendous comedic chemistry for one. Oh yeah. Um and you know the scenes that, that I really enjoy with Luther is just him you know he's not really doing anything but he's just telling like Miss T- Tesmacher about land or whatever you know and there's some great jokes in there about um, you know uh, when he's talking to Otis about you know his his brain being able to you know being powerful enough to to uh, work his body, or
0: um yeah, basically, like I'm surprised that your brain has enough power to work your, for your body. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the whole thing too. Whenever he gets out of the, whenever um, Luther gets out of the swimming, his swimming area. I wouldn't call it a pool because it's like a flooded hotel lobby or whatever. Yeah. And then Otis hands him his uh, robe, and I'm watching, and I'm like, that robe's getting soaked. And then Luther's like, Hey, next time I get out of the pool, wait till I get out of the pool to hand me the robe. Yeah. And then that baby's like. Oh, like it's so, it's so great. Like their their chemistry, right, was great. Um, and then I don't know why you trust Otis to put in coordinates for a missile later, but whatever, that's fine. I, a good villain, and I guess maybe we're like so. I, I I meant we were talking about uh, uh, Clark being stuck in the star pod being yelled at by Marlon Brando for years the the there's a break in the film before we get to Luther before we get to Metropolis where Clark has been in sabbatical for a few years learning about being a superman on the planet Krypton or whatever it, it's a very 70s space trippy yeah. nebulous like we're going to go on a trip maybe or you're going to be stuck in the fortress of solitude for years I don't know and in the meantime you're getting an outfit we don't we're not going to explain it but you're getting an outfit but there's just that that initial first time you see Christopher Reeve in the suit in the Fortress of Solitude, and he comes directly towards the screen. Yeah, he comes
1: flying towards the screen, and it's it's a pract. I mean, it's a practical special effect, but it's a special effect in the sense also that like Christopher Reeve makes it work. Um, he is Superman when you see him. There's no doubt in your mind. Like you're not like that's not Superman. Like it's he's Superman, and the way that he actually like moves with that camera movement i think just conveys flight in a way that i don't know that we'd see and you know i mean granted yes you can say that special effects today are much more advanced and can do it better but and i, I yeah i i realize that there's part of me that's the old man who wants to fight with himself and say well you know you're saying that because it's you know what awed you when you were younger when you saw it but I I take that over the scene in Man of Steel where we see him, you know, take off for the first time, and like there's rubble behind him, and it's very grand
0: and big. And uh. no, there's certain moments like you you could do Indy running away from the boulder now without any without any problem, and it would look it would look fine. But you, but you're not as invested because it looks like Harrison Ford is really running for his life from that boulder because they really did drop a boulder behind him. And I'm sure it was all forced perspective and he was way further away than it looked, but it, you believed it. Right. Even, even we're not running from a boulder and UHF parroting Indiana Jones still looked, it looked right, you yeah. know, like, and I'm glad I got to bring in UHF into this conversation. So, uh, Having Christopher Reeve like fly towards you. This is the first time you see Superman be Superman, other than him high stepping by a train and punting a football, um, like six thousand yards. It 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 works like thematically. The story wise, it confused me because I'm just like, all right, well, I guess he's Superman now. I don't know, but then, but then like the movie kind of moves forward. It goes to Metropolis. You meet, you know. Um, you meet Luther and you meet Clark in his in his world where, for some reason, the only reason he got hired at the um, at the newspaper is because he's the fastest typer that was there. Like I, that's his only cr- cr- credit.
1: I really liked that because it, it felt real. Because like I think people have gotten jobs where they're like, I don't know if he's any good, but he was able to do this or she was able to do that, and like they got it based on
0: that, you know. And they didn't explain why Clark was interested in being a reporter, you know, other than uh, they never really got into all that, but. But that's when you get to see Christopher Reeve playing Clark Kent. And I was talking to somebody at work about this recently that I I buy Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and as Superman. Yes. That, And I'm not saying that this isn't a slight against Brandon Routh or uh, Henry Cavill or Dean Cain or whoever else has played him. Uh, it, it just... Christopher Reeve, will, I think he'll always be my favorite Superman just because he was able, just from body posture and language, was able to sell that he was too... Two sides of himself, Mm -hmm. and I feel like because he's six four, well, not not anymore, but he he was six Uh, four (laughs) too soon. (laughs) Who would have thought Superman's greatest weakness would be a horse? But uh, so uh, he was six four and what two fifteen at the time? Because I guess there was a whole big thing about the casting of this character. That they didn't want him to begin with because they didn't feel that he was muscular enough. Right. But I don't know if you if you if this was in the the documentary or whatever. But he went through a weight um, lifting regiment with David Prowse. Yes. So Darth Vader. Vader trained Superman to bulk up. Cause David Prowsew wanted to be Superman. They said, no, no, <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't think that was the bad decision, um, but he, he bulked up, he put on, you know, he put on muscle and he's not like bulging, like muscular, like Henry Cavill. Cause Henry Cavill is, is freaking built. Like, yeah. like never like, you know, that guy's mustache was way better, more built than my, than my whole, my whole body will ever be. Um, But you still you got him as Clark as this awkward like tall kind of clunky awkward guy, but then you also bought him as this like I don't just a Superman he he didn't need to be anything more than than what was shown and I and I really appreciated that yeah and um, you know
1: this is another one of those um, scenes that I think is. indicative of why that movie is great um you know you'd mentioned indy running from the boulder um and there's a great sequence in the film if you haven't i can't imagine somebody not seeing super superman 78 if you it's it, it
0: been it's been over 20 almost 30 years since myself seeing it yeah the
1: uh helicopter rescue um that holds where, up really well it holds up extremely well um what's great about it is and and we were talking about this before the show about just Spielberg's films in general um, and, and I mentioned that what Spielberg does really well particularly with the Anna Jones franchises is, is that he ups the ante where you think something's happening and then like it goes to 11 or something else <laughs> is introduced to it uh, that scene of him saving Lois could have just been him saving Lois. But like, no, they're like, oh, now the helicopter's falling on him too, and he's got to grab that as well. Yeah. Um, and that scene also contr- uh, has the best piece of dialogue ever when Superman first appears in his outfit. There's a guy that, I'll say it, I think he's a pimp. I, he may not be, but he looks at Superman, and he's like, say, Jim, woo, that is one bad outfit. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite lines, like, ever. I don't know why. I just
0: like the Superman just kind of takes it astray. He's like, yeah, it is.
1: It is. Thank you. <laughs> but I also like that whenever
0: Clark runs to go to a phone booth, which is iconic, he runs to... He sees a phone, but it's only, like, the half phone, so, like, it goes... <laughs> it's a phone, but it only has... It, it's like... It's like, I don't know, the top half. It's not a full booth. It's like a half right. booth. He just kind of looks at it. And he's like, what am I going to do? And he runs to, like, the revolving door, which is a great effect. Yeah. It kind of it takes it kind of takes the piss out of what you know as Superman changing in a phone booth. And I dug that. It was kind of like a joke there and I appreciated it. Um, But yeah, that sequence is great. Um, There's just so much to hear that works. Right. And I, and I, and I was really, this movie's long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes long.
1: Yeah, it is a long set.
0: And so I was enjoying the whole film. Uh, You get to Luther's plan, and his way of kind of duping Superman by screwing with him about his expectations with um, the super hearing, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. I forgot about that part of the whole movie, but he pulls Superman into his lair just to basically do the monologuing bit of keeping him listening to me while I've already won. And I did not remember that. Yeah. And even though he ends up committing to the greatest sin, which is for like tossing the, the hero off into the, the to forget about him, which is the James Bond way out of everything. I really liked that, that they gave Luther, like he really did have the, the, the superior mental position and basically knew what he had to do to stop Superman. I, I thought that was awesome. I really, really dug that. And then he didn't follow through with it because it's Luther. Cause he always is too cocky and that's his undoing. But I, I just, I forgot about that part of the film, but then you get to the, like the whole bevy of heroic acts that Superman goes through to save the world. Right. He undoes it all to save his girlfriend. Well, there's not girlfriend, but he, you know, he digs Lois, but then when he saves her, by reversing the world, flying backwards, 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 and stopping everything, and everything goes backwards, and the water goes back into the dam, and all that, they don't show him actually going back and stopping everything again. He just saves Lois and then goes and grabs Luther and Otis and and throws and takes them to prison without due process. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's like, here you go, Warden. I'll keep these guys safe here till trial. It's like sounds like you've already judged them, Superman. Right, and that's the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like the ending kind of takes takes the wind out of everything leading up to that. but I there was so much I liked about Superman that I forgot about. And Christopher Reeve is just so good. like I really really, really liked him and I really liked how like genuine he came across as, as Superman.
1: Yeah. And I realize that again I'm mentioning too, but in that Donner cut, um, one of the scenes that they used for his audition is a scene in which, um he has to well he doesn't want to reveal that he's superman lois pulls a gun on him and shoots him and basically like he has to stop the bullet Mm -hmm. um and it was one of the films one of the scenes that donner didn't get to film for uh the second one well they put it back in that's that whole screen test section that entire scene was filmed as a screen test so if you watch the donner cut Um, you get that entire scene Hmm. um, and it's a really wonderful scene um, and it's a shame that he didn't get to actually film it for the movie but it works really well in the screen test version of it Um, and it's just one of those great scenes that it's like it's him being Clark and Superman at the same time but um, without being in the suit and I think it just shows you how because like he after he catches the bullet like he becomes Superman, and that's without changing his suit, anything. It's just like you see it in, in his demeanor, his posture, the way he's carrying himself. It's a really lovely, like quick change. Um, and it's a brilliant little piece of acting that I think he did with that character.
0: There's there's a moment like after he does the whole fly around the world with Lois, where he holds her by the hand, like by the fingertips, and somehow they fly side by side, and then she has the whole like mental Like, poem of, like, can you read my mind? Yeah. Is this what's going – is this magical? Which I was reading about that. That was supposed to be a song that they just let her just kind of talk, right? Like, do, like, her thinking her way through being, you know, flown around by Superman. There's a bit after, like – so he leaves, and then she goes to do something, and then Clark Kent shows up, and she's going to change – and he's like, there's a moment of hesitation where he's about to tell her that he's Superman. And he's in Clark Kent mode. He has the, the the jacket and the hat on, the glasses. And he takes the glasses off and he straightens his posture. And he was like, Lois, I am super. And then she comes back in the room and he just drops his shoulders again and puts his glasses on. That is the part there that I, I'm hoping I will remember going forward because that was Clark Kent, Superman, Clark Kent. And it yeah. just shows you Christopher Reeve got it. Like it was, it was so wonderful to see how he's able to carry himself in two different ways. Which, with with heroes with secret identities, quote unquote, you know, your your Batmans or whatever, I I it's hard sometimes to to get the difference because like Christian Bale is Batman. Other than like the the, the the really like the voice drop as what Batman, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And then him as Bruce Wayne, which doesn't seem to be having any fun whatsoever with his life. Right. It's like you It's like he's Batman because he's Batman all the time, and Bruce Wayne's the act. And I I kind of get that, but I I don't know. Like this is one of those ones where I really really you could see a like an actual difference in the performances. And credit to Christopher Reeve for that. So I, I appreciated it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, when it goes to, and again, just, I will admit there's probably some rose-tinted glasses with this, but, you know, when it comes to the ending, or I don't like a question, memory-wiping
0: kiss that you get from the second film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, like you were saying, like the whole, like, Luther just, he picks Luther up, but he's like, hey, I'm taking you to jail. It's like, um, this is America. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can't just do that. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, I, that stuff is all, like... If it was in a comic book, you know, that I'd read as a kid, I wouldn't have questioned it. So it gets a pass for me. So, like, I I realize that it's certainly hypocritical of me to hold a higher standard probably to Man of Steel in the sense that, like, I'm holding it against 30 years worth of comic books versus, you know, Man of Steel, which I saw, you know, at a very young age and not having read or known much about Superman. So I'm much more eager to accept it. At the same time, I do feel like that is very um, true to the comics. I don't feel like the comics of that era, like if him turning around the world or just him dropping, you know, Lex Luthor off at the jail <laughs> without a, you know, a court uh, court date or anything, is was in a comic. I wouldn't have questioned it then either. So that, that's
0: fair. So uh, revisiting Superman, it's a good film. The ending's a little weird there's reasons why it's a little weird just production wise, but it is what it is. Warts and all Chris free was great. Um, you get a clear sense of character. You get a clear sense of origin. Um, you get, um, a wonderful scope of a, a, like it's, a, it's, it's basically you, you see him knowing that he is an outsider, but you see that he actually is trying to do the right thing. And knowing that he knows that he is way more capable of doing amazing things than most people but he stays humble. And so like that all comes through. Um, the, the score is amazing. The title sequence goes on forever, but it's great. Trippy 70 space learning with Marlon Brando is great. Just because it's a seventies thing. Uh, the suits that all the Kryptonians wear is great and how they reflect things. The sets, the look, everything. It's, it's the complete package It is a high. It's, it's a large budget film that works very well. And the only, the only reason it ages is because it was made in 78. And and some of the effects don't hold up so much now, but they were revelatory then.
1: Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, with the DCU films right now, uh, I will say that trying to run away from what the 78 film was might not have been a good decision. And I think embracing some of that about Superman might have been to their benefit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I realized, too, as we're, you know, I, I talked about, too, a little bit Probably too much in this this conversation about one, but I I have trouble knowing all the back history, and kind of thinking about them as one gigantic movie between one and two. Um, you know, I realized that I kind of went off tangent a little bit. But one of the things I'll mention as well is is that, uh, you know, if you look back at the movies that you know, if you're my age or a little younger, um, I'm in my forties, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if you look at Richard Donner's films, like he was a director who. Uh, shaped a lot of what I grew up with, mm-hmm. um, from *Goonies* to *Lethal Weapon* to, um, well, even *The Omen*. Um, it's kind of crazy how many amazing films that he made over his career, um, and the fact that we just had a, a discussion about a film with a John Williams score that's probably close to being as iconic as the Superman, sc- or, I'm sorry, the Indiana Jones score and the Star Wars score. Is impressive because like we didn't even talk about but the that. Music. That's yeah, yeah. That's, that's
0: that's on me. You're right. So that no, like it is the the fact that when, when people were excited that Danny Elfman was bringing in the Superman like overture or whatever you want to call it into Justice League, everyone's like, well, that's right. It's like yeah. I don't know if that Superman deserves it. But, I mean, again, nothing against Henry Cavill. <laughs> right. I, I like him as Superman. I just feel like he's not been given the proper Superman. Um, And, and yeah, this is also being recorded just as the news came out that Justice League closes theatrical run as being the lowest grossing film of the DC Extended Universe. And that's supposed to be your... Shining Jewel. It's that's supposed, supposed to, be your, to be your Avengers, yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be. And it, it made the least, it made less money than Suicide Squad. Like, think about that. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, whatever. But anyway, so, um, and I here, just to mention this too, Black Panther's been the number one film for like five weeks. So you have a guy, an animal-based hero that is doing really well. I figure that's a good pivot into uh, what we're going to talk about next. So is there anything else about Superman the 78 film that you wanted to mention here before we get to the other one
1: no i would just say that like if you're somebody who um you know hasn't seen it or if you're somebody who is like oh you know i prefer modern day comic book movies i really feel like it's one of those ones that you should revisit and i will say that uh you know the the modern age of superhero movies. You know, even though X Men and Blade had already happened, I think kind of started with uh, Raimi's Spider Man in two thousand two. Um, and I would say if you watched Superman and Raimi's Spider Man back to back, you would see that I think not visually or in the sense that. Um, like he stole shots or anything like that. But I feel like if you watch those two, I think Sam Raimi approached Spider-Man the same way Richard Donner approached Superman. And I think that's why that movie was such a hit in 2002. And I think mm-hmm. that's when comic book movies excel is when they embrace bringing what's great about the characters or being true to who they are from the comics to the big screen. Yeah.
0: So. so, all right. So I'm sure we'll talk more about Superman and compare and contrast, but let's get to 1981's Condor Man.
1: And that's the best part of Condor Man. And have and we're a good week, done. everybody. Have
0: a good night. Now, uh, Steve was telling me before the show, he's like, he's like, you didn't pick the score for Superman, but you're going to play music for Condor Man. I'm like, yeah, because it's, it's, it's pretty great. Um, uh, other than the, the lyrics to Condor Man are Condor Man, Condor Man, Condor Man, there's space. Condor Man, Condor Man. Condor Man. So that's that's the main theme to Condor Man. So Condor Man 1981. Um, so it came out three years after uh, Superman. So its release date was August 7th, 1981. The reason I want to mention that because I, just, I started looking. The number one film on the day release of Condor Man was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it the, it, 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 it but that wasn't the weekend Raiders opened. Like so, basically, Raiders is around, and I was looking at like the timeline of like films that were successful around that time. Raiders showed up as number one a couple different times over its run, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like a constant, but it would kind of pop up here and there. Uh, other films, number one films that were number one at box office surrounding this date were Escape from New York, uh, Arthur, and American Werewolf in London. Just to kind of point out, like you know, just. Just you think about the movies that, like, I mean, Arthur. I've not seen in years, but I know it was a big deal at the time. Um, Escape from New York, I, one of my favorites. American War of London scares the piss out of me, but I enjoy it. Um, just think about that. Think about like the heavy hitters, like the movies that like are genre and rares of the Lost Ark. You know?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even put Condor Man in the same breath with those three <laughs> movies, let alone like if you told me they were released like within, a, you know, within a year of each other.
0: Yeah. Also Superman 2 came out that year. Uh, The Lester version, which it still made a ton of money. Time Bandits came out that year. Think about that too. So um, a little bit of context on this. So this uh, came out in 1981, like I said, this is a Disney released film. Um, I'm going to kind of go through real quick because I I Googled uh, what the Disney releases were for 1981. Uh, This will give you a little bit of a snapshot of where Disney was at the time. March 6th, The Devil and Max Devlin. I know you know that name, Steve, but you're not going to remember what the film is. And it it has Bill Cosby playing the devil. Think about that for a second. Oh, my God.
1: Appropriate casting.
0: Yeah, right. Um, And it was very controversial at the time because of the first Disney-produced film that had swearing in it. And it was also because it was much more uh, – I forget the other guy who was the lead in it. But basically, the other guy died and was a bad guy. And the devil was like, oh, if you give me three souls, I'll let you – you know, be okay. So it was like this weird dark comedy with Bill Cosby as the devil that would just show up ever so often taunting um whoever it was. It wasn't Albert Brooks, but I keep wanting to say Albert <laughs> Brooks. Uh March 20th, um Amy, I don't know what that was. I didn't take a note it's March April 3rd, Alice in Wonderland, a reissue. So it was a re-re-release of their animated film from years ago. June twelfth was the freaky Friday re-release. Uh, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo was a reissue. Oh. Herbie Goes Bananas, a reissue. So these are all about a car that does things. Uh, a Volkswagen Beetle that has a personality. <laughs> I that, would say all that, cars that, do that, things. <laughs> that, <laughs> it has a personality. It has its own thought. And one day would go on to ruin Lindsay Lohan's career. Probably not. Um, she was also in the Freaky Friday remake, now that I think about it. Uh, so... Because she was in Herbie Fully Loaded, I think was what it's yes. called. Yeah, Herbie uh,
1: and Cocaine ruined her career. <laughs>
0: fully loaded, full of cocaine. That's that, that's the movie. I didn't know that was. It was just Lindsay Lohan in a, in a Volkswagen just doing coke going across the border. Yeah, that's probably what's going on right now. Um, June nineteenth, The Swiss Family Robinson was a reissue. Uh, June twenty sixth, The Great Muppet Caper was released by them. So that was a high point. Was that Disney? Because I didn't think they, they had... released it. I don't think. I mean, okay. Because I am
1: like Henson was still like running the show. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, Dragon Slayer, which was a co-production with Paramount Studios. That was also a dark film. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Uh, it has, um, Ian McNichols in it. If I remember right. He's, uh, yeah. Anyway, he, he, he's, uh, Vigo, the Carpathian's bitch and Ghostbusters too. Um, so in July 10th, the Fox and the Hound came out. So that was, you know, animated was good. Uh, sad, sad animated film. August 7th, Condor Man, October 9th, The Watcher in the Woods which I people have kind of come back around on, but it was kind of like their, their, a horror film, right? And then December 18th, Cinderella reissue. Not the strongest slate of films, right? Disney was in this point of kind of trying to, to reestablish themselves and find some identity. And the gentleman who was in charge of Disney at the time, and again, I'm not the authority. There's people that know this a lot better than I am. There was like a period in the late 70s through the, the early to mid 80s where Disney... Was trying to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to see what would stick. Yeah, and you got movies like The Black Hole, which yeah. was their kind of supposed to be their answer to the Star Wars. Um, you got Condor Man, you got Tron, uh, Watch of the Woods, uh, The Black Cauldron. You got a lot of oh, um, uh, was Return to Oz was yeah. also them.
1: Uh, you also got, uh, and this is my personal favorite out of the, these films. Something uh, Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, I would highly recommend that film. Um, but yeah, there was they were kind of all over the place, and it was like they couldn't find a hit to save their lives. They were the opposite of what they are now.
0: Yeah, think about this. So we're talking about this context of Superman like, that was making bank and ruling the world. You know, a DC film with clear-headed direction and purpose. And then you have Disney, who now owns the the Marvel like machine of putting out like really like good movies. I've not disliked a single of the Marvel Disney produced films, um, but they're at a point where it's like you know what we should do a superhero film, <laughs> like, right? Because they're like maybe it will make money. We don't know. So Condor Man is kind of like their like I, I was reading was someone wrote on here are they like it was it was ahead of its time. I'm like Condor Man didn't exist in any time like uh, properly. So. Right. Um, we'll get into the little bit about who made this <clears throat> directed by, we'll talk about the parties responsible, <laughs> you know, the party for, for the, for the, the murder that is known as condor man, uh, the cinematic murder, uh, directed by Charles Gerrott. Uh, he was one of those guys who did a lot of big costume dramas, like, uh, the bigger, important films. Uh, he, uh, someone once said that, uh, he has no style or personality and that he was just a traffic manager. <clears throat> That maybe seems,
1: not a f- unfair after watching Gondor Man.
0: Yeah, but he uh, directed the film in the '70s, Mary Queen of Scots, that was nominated for six Academy Awards. Oh uh, well, then I stand corrected. Didn't win any of them, and also several Golden Globes didn't win any of them. So, so yeah, still, he, yeah, that's important about the big costume drama. I'll get back to that in a second. Score by Henry Mancini which we we mentioned the Superman theme for a second. And you guys got to hear the wonderful Condor um, Man, which the music of this film isn't bad. Hater Mancini he's mostly his biggest famous thing is the Pink Panther theme. I think um, he also did the great mouse detective for uh, Disney, but he's an established person has written scores for films that people know. Um, this was written by Mickey Rose and Mark Sturdivant. I can't say that name right. Um, I really went deep on the people responsible for this film. Mickey, Roo, Mickey Rose grew up with Woody Allen. Not a good sign. Uh, he wrote material for Shari Lewis and Lamb Chop. Oh, yeah. That explains a lot. <laughs> 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 wrote and directed in 1981, same year, your student bodies. Do you know this film?
1: Oh, I don't think I've seen Student Bodies since But it's the, the comedy 80s. spoof-like yeah. film.
0: It's a comedy horror film that was a spoof of Halloween, Friday 13th of Prom Night. I, I remember parts of this film, and I feel like it, we should go back and see it. I
1: feel like we could probably find a copy at Wasteland.
0: Probably, yes. Uh, all movie wrote, Student Bodies, though occasionally very funny, is not consistent enough to be recommended as a comedy or scary enough to be an effective horror film. That feels kind of on point for what we're about to get into. Yeah. Um, Mark Steerdevent had two writing credits, this movie, and a story idea for Beretta. No, <laughs> But his main bread and butter, he was a second assistant director for 135 episodes and first assistant director for 45 episodes of Frasier. So this guy made his money being an assistant director. They're just like, we can't let you be inf- ne- like the leader of anything ever again, though. Um, he got put in movie jail. He got put in movie jail. Uh, You got to deal with Fraser man as opposed to Condor man. So this is based on the the story or the book, The Game of X by Robert Sheckley. That is the greatest real name ever. I I deep dove on Sheckley. He wrote a number of sci-fi short stories that had absurd tones. Kind of, you know, you're starting to see something here, right? Yeah. Also wrote some uh, novels in the alien universe and Babylon five. So he had, you know, that's, that's cool. Uh, Sheckley's novel *Immortality Inc.*, about a world in which the afterlife could be obtained via a scientific process, was very loosely adapted into the 1990 film *Free Jack*. 1992 film *Free Jack*.
1: So, yeah, for whatever reason, I thought you were going to say *Flatliners*, but it, yeah, it's, have you seen *Free
0: Jack*? Uh, a long time, probably. Right. With Esteves, oh, Mick yeah. Jagger, Anthony Hopkins. I saw it in the
1: theater. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. I've seen it since
0: the theater, but I did see it in the theater. Yeah. So, Game of X, which I I just want to get into this. This will also color Converman's conversation. Uh, For those uh, those who enjoy the hazardous harassments of fun-loving, fearless secret agents, this is an out-and-out knee slapper. This is review written by somebody. Bill Nye... Not the science guy, a jobless American in Europe, is recruited by Colonel Baker of Britain's Secret Service to help them catch one Karanovsky of spy. The assignment is so successful uh, that Baker delights in pretending that Nye was a redoubtable agent, the redoubtable agent X, Britain's spy spy. Uh, unfortunately, when uh, Karanovsky decides to defect, the demand uh, this demands the assistance of X and Bill outfitted with a remarkable reputation, is uh, pressed back into service. Hilarity ensues when Bill becomes forced to put on his uh, supposed talents into action and some of the funniest escape episodes since Pearl White played Perilous. I have no idea what that means. The cloak and dagger game was never more fun. So this is about an, uh, like a, a regular guy pressed in service as a spy, but his reputation preceded him, so he had to keep going. So that's where this movie's based off of
1: and i mean i i will say up front that yes you know uh condor man in the sense that like is it a ripoff of superman no is it chasing that money of like having a superhero or quasi superhero i would say yes i would argue that that's the reason this was made and i feel like had superman not happened it would have just been a straight up spy spoof yeah um because the movie is you know cards on the table it is 90 percent spy spoof and 10 percent superhero epic if you want to use the word epic very loosely
0: <laughs> um yeah, well we should probably just i forgot to give an overview of the film so uh you and i'll get to the cast here again in a second because there's some fun stuff here uh woody w- sorry woodrow woody wilkins uh, is uh, a comic book writer of a character called Condor Man. He's over in, in in France because he wants to anything that he's writing this comic. And if he can't do it, then Condor Man can't do it in the comic. Which I'm it's sorry, the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stan Lee being like, ah, if I can't stick to a wall, Spider Man can't stick to a wall. Right. You know, like, but Stan, he gets so angry and green. That's why I wrote it. Now, so. Um, so the whole thing he's over there on like some like you know with his friend who happens to be in like the uh, the FBI or secret service or something and it becomes this thing where the the FBI is trying to get documents between uh, the US and Russia, but Russia recommends civilians to do the trade-off so um, so his buddy, um, who is uh, Harry? That Harry is the FBI guy or the Secret Service guy. He's more of a clerk than he is an agent. Yes. Um, and he recommends Woody to go do this, and Woody's super excited. It gets into this whole spy thing, and then they go to but- uh, um, uh, Istanbul uh, to make this trade off. Hilarity ensues, and they do the trade off, and it turns out that the person he's handing the documents to, she wants to defect. Um, it's, it's complicated because she's also tied to this other guy named, uh, Krokov, who is a big time Russian agent that has his own aspirations for, I don't know. I don't really know what his plan is other than he wants to punish her for defecting, but he also hates the fact that this other guy who goes by the name Condor man has been foiling his plans. And so what he thinks He's out. Uh, the agents need him to help her defect. So he's like, fine, I'll do this. You have my designs for things. And somehow the government has unlimited money and unlimited time to build him an arsenal to complete this defection escape mission. And that's the movie is him trying to help her uh, get to safe waters, basically, so she can defect.
1: Yeah. And I, I realized that we're like, you know, after, I don't know. Quite a bit of time, you know, glowing about Superman that like we jumped directly into shitting on Commodore Man. Or at least I did. So, you know, I, I <laughs> Shitting on Commodore Man. I don't wanna, you know, I I, I don't wanna be the guy who's negative the entire time. I mean there are No, we did some... fifty minutes about Superman, yeah. so you can be negative now. That's <laughs> fine. I mean so there are some things that I think are kind of cool in the movie. Uh, one there's just a little bit of animation at the very beginning of the movie that makes me think, oh, why wasn't this just an animated movie? It worked a lot better.
0: Yeah, like the title sequence, which is the whole first three minutes of the film, and you know, if you guys just listen to the very end, you'll hear the whole Condor Man score, like the the, the title theme, and it's it's wonderful. By the way, the lyrics are Condor Man over and over again. Like I said, um, you see Condor Man animated; and he's flying around the Arc de Triomphe, I think, in Paris. Yeah, and it, I really appreciated that the animated character was interacting with the physical objects in the, in the actual filmed areas there's a bit where he gets he gets hit, he flies into a truck and gets hit by the truck that was fun like yeah. i kind of dug that and it was kind of and the music's kind of implying that this going to be kind of this fun jaunty movie um and it, the the music and the animated the sort of animated intro um well i mean cuz it's just it it's is. Just, it's oh, just I him know. as condor man flying around being zany it, it it gives you a promise of what the film isn't Right. And that's unfortunate. Um, and it's also a weird title sequence, like the, the fonts all over the place. Cause it's him swooping into view. So it's like all these letters and words that are all like distorted and it's hard to read. Not that you care, but I'm pretty sure that people wanted to protect themselves. So they wanted to make it you know unreadable. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, I'll just get into the cast here real quick. Cause I want to just get to some stuff I was reading about Michael Crawford, who is Woodrow, Woody Wilkins. He's the guy who plays condor man. Like he's the, he's the comic book writer artist. He's also condor man. Steve, did you know he was British? Um, I, uh, so,
1: I, before the movie started, I, I saw it, or I shouldn't say before the movie started, but, like, when I started watching the film, before I looked at anything else, I was like, I feel like that guy's British, not because of, <laughs> like, the way he was acting or anything in the film, I just, for whatever reason, I was like, I feel like that's an actor that I've seen before, and I think he's British, but... Uh, I had nothing to base it off of other than, like, I feel like I've seen him before.
0: Well, I'll give my wife absolute credit. She made the, the best observation about this film. She's like, he sounds like Regis Philbin. Like so, the entire time he's talking, I couldn't get Regis out of my head. That's and just, fair. Yeah. And like if you go back and like watch it again, which you probably won't, it's Regis Philbin the entire time, and I just want to be like, wait till he unleashes the special weapon of Gelman on everybody, you know, <laughs> and let like, Kathy Lee show up drunk. It's fine, but it's he sounded like Regis Philbin the entire time. He did. Um. So he's actually his his career after Condor Man got really interesting because you know this wasn't. <laughs> elevated him he was known for some british productions and some other stuff before this more comedic stuff uh he's actually a commander of the most excellent order of the british empire so he's what is considered an obe um he's one step below a knight oh wow yeah uh so he <laughs> in one of his productions i always read this this is just a random statement from wikipedia about another production and this will fit condor man if you guys watch it you'll understand his performance led to uh, an invitation to star in a BBC television comedy series about a childlike and internally haphazard man who causes disaster everywhere he goes. That seems very appropriate.
1: Yeah, that does.
0: He was the original Phantom of the Opera for the, um, the Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom of the Opera. That's where he's most known for. He did that for three and a half years, over 1,300 performances as the original Phantom. Oh, wow. And that just took him skyrocketed. So he he doesn't need to worry about anything anymore he's the phantom okay so.
1: yeah um you know when i, I <sighs> <laughs> it's weird because the next point that i'm going to bring up i realize is is in light of you know me being like i just buy it superman can drop lex Luthor off in a jail but like <laughs> there are certain things that happen in this movie that i'm just like wow that's a huge leap like for instance he meets this uh, this Russian spy who wants to defect. Uh, or I guess was she a spy? I I can't,
0: can't remember. I, I she was a Russian agent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that the, the, uh, we'll get to her. Uh, Barbara Carrera as Natalia Rabov, Rab- Rabov, robot whatever. Natasha Romanov. Um, Romanov. And uh, um, <laughs> she, she actually would later on play a, a, a Bond girl. And um, uh, was it Never Say Never? I think. Okay. So she would be cast in a Bond film as a femme fatale type it makes later. sense yeah but uh
1: you know he meets her and then he comes up this character lady laser that's based on her
0: yeah he makes kind of a character based on her yeah
1: and then later on in the movie like some kids recognize her from the comic book but i don't get the impression that like there's been that much time in between
0: so yeah so he after he sees her in istanbul and they have this whole bit where he's trying to like woo her and he like he's such an asshole American the entire time where he's just like this stumbling his way through this, like, you know, I, it's not a bar, but it's like a restaurant type club type thing. And he has a suitcase with the handcuffs and all this stuff, and he's wearing the trench coat and the hat. And the person comes up to him, and like the the, the server asks him what he wants, and he was like, "I'll have a what they call it, um an like uh Istanbul Express or something." He's like, "I'll have a double." He's like, "You don't want a double?" He's like, "You know what? I'll have a triple." And yeah. they bring out this flaming drink that he drinks, and then like you know belches like literal fire. Yeah, like it. Doesn't make sense, but he ends up stumbling his way through an action sequence where his failings somehow get him and the other person out. And he tells her that his codename is Condor Man. Right. Which, of all the names to give <laughs> yourself, like, you know, whatever. So i i don't know and i realize it's a it's a small
1: thing to get hung up on in a very bad movie anyway but i'm like okay how much time has passed for him to be able to write a comic book yes and publish that,
0: that's, it sorry that was my point it's like uh, he was, he's <laughs> like i'm in love with her now i'm gonna sketch her out and then i don't know how this comic that is published in america sorry he writes and draws in, in paris somehow then gets into america uh, maybe who knows maybe a small press over in europe i don't know but ends up in switzerland later for a bunch of kids to find to see her on the cover to recognize this random woman going into a lodge as laser lady that's tough
1: right and it's always funny to me when comic book artists are portrayed in other media like uh you know i think of uh you know back in the and i guess this is true back in the like 30s and 40s you know comic book artists were sort of I should say comic strip artists were actually, if you know, you were publishing newspapers because they were so big at that time. You made a really good living, but like, there aren't that many comic book artists right now who are like hopping continents and uh, <laughs> taking time off of their publishing. Uh, I think I can to, see Tom
0: McFarlane uh, traveling the world, fighting crime. Y- you know, your mostly crime he started.
1: <laughs> your your Jim Lee, uh, you know, types. You know, those are rare exceptions where they're making enough money. Bob
0: Liefeld is going around shrinking people's feet. <laughs> <laughs> Here, wear this fanny pack. It has multiple pouches. That's fine. And your feet are too big. I'm Rob Liefeld. I'm a special agent. I think my name is Bedrock. No, he didn't. He didn't do. Uh, he didn't do that. He, no, they, he did Bedrock. Well, it was Wildcats, right? That was the whole thing, right? Well, Wildcats? no. Jim
1: Lee was Wildcats. Youngblood Young is Blood. Rob Lee. From. Young Blood, sorry, but Bedrock yeah. is from Young, from Blood. Young Blood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but my name's, my name's Grifter. Was so that was that,
0: <laughs> <laughs> was that Young Blood? Grifter is a Wildcat. God ah, damn it!
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> die Hard
0: was Die Hard part of Youngblood? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Bla- um, Black and White Deadpool was part. Of <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. We're, were getting saying, off topic. Yeah, yeah.
1: No. I. I and I realize it's a very minute detail to have gotten caught up on, but you know it was one of those things where I was like, okay, that makes literally no sense that in a movie that, that makes no sense anyways. Yeah. But like. Um, the one thing i'll say too is is that uh one of back in the early days of mr science theater 3000 they would get requests for movies that were comedies but were just shitty comedies that weren't funny and their point was always like we can't really make that funny because the movie's supposed to be funny and it's doing comedy poorly we don't know how to work make that work um and i feel like this is one of those movies that's trying so hard to be funny it's painfully unfunny in so many ways yeah well there's well, not even a good chuckle in the movie that's and again <laughs> i'm trying not to shit on the movie and i realize i am but it I, ugh, it's painfully unfunny i i can't find like one good comedic mo- moment in that movie if you can i will you know
0: applaud but <laughs> I, I i have a couple i'll, I'll bring them up and I'll, I'll let you know the one thing that made me laugh it wasn't the cane was it uh, it wasn't the cane. Um, the cane was the one of the worst sight gags in the film. It went on way too long. Let's talk about Condor man's kit uh, real quick here. He so after the initial saving of the the agent who was known as the, the, the they called her the bear or whatever then he was the condor as the Condor man and the bear I don't know the scarecrow Mrs. King I don't know. Um, basically the US government's like well but the, the, she's requesting Condor man. He's like why well, don't want to do it. And they're like but we need you. He's like well, you guys can make all the stuff for me and they're like sure cuz the government yeah. has an infinite amount of money, infinite amount of time. Um so uh, the cane that you mentioned was part of a whole getup of him dressing as an old man to to somehow she was dressed up like a gypsy and I don't mean that derogatory. It was supposed to be like this like, you know, Romanian like like up in the hills. Yeah. And then like, so he he somehow like he's, he's dressed up and, and then he also, all of a sudden pulls down his mask just to be like, yo, it's me. It's like, why (laughs) did you put all the makeup on that? I don't understand it. You still sound (laughs) like Regis Philbin. (laughs) And then she gets stopped by Russian agents and he goes to fire this cane. Not, not only is it a cane gun, which could be cool, I guess, but it fires bullets like continuously like a Tommy gun. And somehow the kick on this thing, it's a cane, it's a cane. And somehow she's, but the kick on this thing is so massive that he falls down shooting in the air and it shoots more bullets than it's capable of, which I guess that's comedic. I don't know, but it bugs me and it wasn't funny. Right. The part that made me laugh though was so of all his, his, his uh, his different tools that he had first, he was also driving in like a, a, um, a ramshackle like truck with like a house on the back that was a cover for her and him. And then, um, the bad guy, which we'll talk about in a second, sent out like his, uh, porsche group of guys they all drove porsches it looks like chasing him down suddenly that became the condor man mobile because he's condor man he has to have a condor man mobile i don't, whatever so he the guy who's known for flying not very well is driving a car and it shoots lasers that doesn't hit anything though there's a bit later where he has these rocket propelled ski lift things that look like a reverse pogo stick that are hanging on the ski lift yes. bars or whatever. And he's trying to make his escape. And then someone snipes the bar and he falls. The The, the falling bodies are clearly dummies <laughs> like pinwheeling down. Like, and it made me laugh really hard and I'm, and I'm sure it was done for the, like, I don't know if it was done for comedy, but it was wonderful. And I like that it was Condor man. So it was Woody and his buddy, um his buddy harry which we didn't even get to that actor which we will mention they're lying in the snow and eventually the man's like we could get up now and harry's like i'm never moving again that was actually kind of a funny moment i kind of his line delivery of that was kind of great um harry who we've mentioned his his friend his name's james hampton we just got to mention him because the only thing that we really know him from he was the dad in teen wolf yes so he would go on to do something and then he would also do Teen Wolf too. So, eh, whatever. But I, I saw him. I'm like, that's the dad from Teen Wolf. That's yeah. all I care about.
1: If I ever were to see him in something else again, I would just be like, oh, it's the dad from Teen Wolf. Like he's forever emblazoned in my brain as the dad from Teen Wolf.
0: Did you recognize like, the FBI, CIA director, the guy that was named Russ, the one that was like the running, that was basically telling Harry what to do? Did you recognize him at all? No. Did you ever watch MacGyver?
1: uh not against i mean you know against your will will. yeah and
0: you had to get out of the room with like a paper clip and rubber band (laughs) it's like uh, this guy was like on like every episode of uh uh, macgyver was it
1: richard dean anderson and i just didn't
0: realize it yeah he and also this guy Dan Elkar, like and you'll you'll appreciate this his last role was in an episode of er so you'll eventually see him oh yeah because i've been watching a lot of er recently yeah um, that was like the only other person that I wanted uh, to mention was because it's like, oh, I know that guy from MacGyver. Uh, but, other okay, one other person, the bad guy, uh, Krakov,
1: Who's the uh, biggest actor in this, and we're like, oh, and him. And
0: him, <laughs> um, who I believe felt that he was in a different film than Condor Man the entire time because it, he looked pissed off the entire time of this film.
1: I think he knew exactly what film he was in.
0: <laughs> Oliver Reed, which if you guys want to go read about Oliver Reed, tragic person a fireball of a personality and actor like this guy he um, he, he got his big his first starring roles were hammer films so very like genre films he was in 1971's the devils that Ken Russell film that's kind of making a comeback now that I know people have talked about I've not seen it but it's important uh, was at one time rumored to be cast as James Bond and I could kind of see it yeah. this guy has a look he's cool um, he was in the film adaptation of Tommy where he got to meet Keith Moon and they became best friends. Who'd have thought these guys that were raging alcoholics would get along and yeah. just destroy stuff? Um, he was also in 1976 Burnt Offerings, which I've watched that like within the past like calendar, like not calendar but like twelve months. That's an interesting movie. Do you know what burnt offerings is?
1: I do. It was in my queue on Hulu and then it went away. Oh. And I hadn't had, you should I had watch a chance that. to watch it. Yeah.
0: It, it's it's him and his family moving into a house that uh Burgess Meredith and his sister are like, we need to go away for the summer. You guys could totally hang out here. And the house kind of takes over their lives. And the house, it's a summer home that's kind of in disrepair. But as they're there, not only is the the, the mother and wife repairing the place and kind of tidying it up again, it's starting to kind of repair itself. And you wonder if it's taking the toll on the family or if there's something else going on. And Oliver reads this conflicted character. its I'm not saying it's a perfect film. It's an interesting film, and it's mm-hmm. worth watching. So it, it's a good it's a good role. He was in 1979's um, The Brood with David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. Um, that's also a weird film that's pretty great. But he, Oliver Reed is a presence. Uh, his last f- role was uh, Antonius Proximo in Gladiator. He was the older guy who was in charge of the, the slaves or whatever, slave like the slave fighters. He died during the production of the film. And they use some CG to kind of carry him through the rest, but a very striking looking figure and a very unique delivery. Right, and he 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 kind of brings some um, some gravity to this film. I'm not saying that, like. There, there's also a story too at one point he got drunk one night while filming this uh, this uh, movie and took his suit and threw it out in the ocean because he was he's just being an asshole and someone went out with a <laughs> boat to go grab it because they didn't want to it cost more money to the production
1: which i think is really weird the and they're like let's go get a boat and get that out of it like
0: but the whole thing is like we can get another suit it's like cost too much money because let's just go get this the suit that's covered in seawater now. Some
1: poor like, intern i was like <laughs> Yeah, all right, I guess we're getting on a well, boat. To go.
0: There's a bit later in the, the towards the end whenever he has um, uh, the girl uh, Natalia against her will open a helicopter he goes to like fake open a door and push her out yeah that was all real she did not see that coming and freaked out and punched him in the movie that was that was not intended and they, they kept it in the movie that he was like in his mind he wasn't getting the the, the scared reaction from her so he threatened to throw her out of a helicopter <laughs> Oliver Reed is a destructive but interesting man and I I his presence in this film it, it certainly raised my interest. And as a bad guy, I kind of liked him. Just too bad they didn't do much with him.
1: Yeah, you never really know what exactly his whole deal is other than he's the bad guy. Um, And... You know, I still don't exactly know. <laughs>
0: I don't know what his goal was in the yeah. film, yeah. but I did like that after a while when he figured out that um, that Woody was just basically a comic book writer. He went and grabbed all of Woody's comics because that's easy to do, yeah. and read all of them and was like, "Well, I know where he's escaping to." And it's like, I like one credit to him to being like this guy. He's a one track mind, and if his character can do it, then clearly this is what's going to happen. So he he foresaw Woody using these weird jet uh I don't know, gondola type pogo stick things go up a ski lift or whatever. I don't know, it's stupid. But he had a sniper to, like he was basically he knew that Woody would cross there because it was in his comics. And I'm figuring that if you're a comic writer, wouldn't you kind of know that if you telegraphed where you're going to not go there? but whatever what just like i have a plan you know
1: yeah i don't think they thought that much farther than like he's a comic book writer he's eccentric
0: yeah so the whole film it's just it pivots on woody being a likable character which he's not um <laughs> he's not like i just he was annoying you know well,
1: i know it's just it's the, like that's the thing that they're banking on and it just
0: yeah his buddy harry i i appreciated more um And just the whole thing too about being like kind of like the man who knew too much or the man who knew too little or whatever to call it like wrong place wrong time but you're you're now tied up into this whole big spy thing but the fact that the U.S. government was able to make make you a car that was underneath hiding, underneath a, sh- a shambling pile of whatever. Um, your That car also can become a hovercraft. Um, that's pretty cool. You think the U.S. government would use that more often as an escape tool? They don't. Um, they make you a jet ski that's also painted to match the colors of your hero. No, the cars too. Yeah. Like The U.S. government's bankrolling your Bruce Wayne-like fantasies because there's a bit at the end when, when Harry tells him, he's like, hey, they want us to go home. This mission's a failure. He's like, well... Until we show up, though, I have carte blanche. It's like, that's not how that works. Like, <laughs> like, They cut your money off. But he's like, no, I got a plan. So their plan to save her was he and his buddy dressing up as sheiks. In the and, worst. Uh, it's <laughs> weirdly racist, and it's kind of wrong. It's very wrong. And they go pretending to be these oil barons at this party or something. And he also dresses up this way so that way he can hide his Condor Man rig underneath. What do you think of the wings? What do you think of the Condor Man wings? <laughs> what do you think? Like, let's just get to that. What do you think of those wings?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, I'm going to say that they fall in line with pretty much everything else in the film. Um, you know, I, that's the that's the thing too is is that they go to the, the whole point of like, oh, he's condor man and he flies, but really, you get him failing to fly at the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, he falls into the, the river. He live real life. He almost drowns. By the way, yeah, <laughs> that would have been a better. Movie. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> We would never have gotten the Phantom by phone. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember those commercials where it was like, dial now, buy Phantom by phone so you can buy tickets of the Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Drowning man. Yeah, that would, have been, that would have been that.
1: Um, You know, I'd gone on to remark about how much the, I loved the flying sequences in the original Superman. And you've mentioned uh, to me before we started uh, talking tonight that uh you know there was a connection to yes. flying rigs um and they use the same studios that they used for superman and the same rigs yeah and not to at all like
0: <laughs> so pinewood yeah. studios over overseas is where also the original alien was shot if i remember right uh that's where they shot a lot of the flying sequences of superman like i was really worried that there would not be a connection between superman and condor man because i'm like well they have man in the title they the the gentleman Colin Chival- chivalers I'm probably not saying that right and it's probably not correct at all. He worked on the first Superman films with Christopher Reeve. And the effects were also filmed in the same location, and they were using the same rigs. They couldn't use the same molds, surprise, surprise, because Christopher Reeves is 6'4 and like, you know, 212 full of muscle. And Michael Crawford is like, is like teeth and like Gene Jean, Jean Wilder <laughs> hair and like a tiny guy. Like, he might, well, he might not be tiny, but he's definitely trim. Yeah. You know? So they had to do this whole new thing to get him to fly. And I will say this I will defend this one moment. The story makes no sense, and it makes no sense physically how this is happening there's a bit towards the end of the film when he's actually flying across this bay with Natalia on his back and I don't know how they did it. There's a wide shot of him flying and I have no idea how they did it at that time. Yeah. Like, that blows my mind because the wings flapping makes no physical sense. It, none of it makes any type of actual, like, like well, they, clearly this guy's flapping his wings. He's flying. <laughs> but it's just something about how he's suspended in the air at distance um, and he's they moving. It just... It, it doesn't it for a movie this not good and low budget that shot mystifies me i don't know how they did it
1: yeah it's it's literally like the um they accidentally got something right like <laughs> yeah i don't know how else to put it yeah um,
0: i believed at that time condor man could fly
1: right? <laughs> you will believe a condor man <laughs> fly for five seconds for five seconds um
0: you know, and and I, then they land and get rid of the rig. They're like, just throw it away. It's like, no, that's probably worth a lot of money. You right. should probably hang on to it. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and I, I'm not quite sure why. If everybody knows the Condor Man is a comic, why he chose that as his <laughs> mode of being a spy, or why he based everything around it. Like I mentioned to you before we started talking tonight, that I was like, I think the design for the car was cool, and you're like, yeah. I mean and it's like if like, it,
0: if if there was a like a limited edition Hot Wheels yeah. of the Condorman car I would probably get that because that'd be kind of funny. Like yeah. that'd be neat.
1: But like it, it like if that was in uh, Death Race Two Thousand, I think that car would still like fit right in. Oh, so perfectly. I, yeah. So I, I really like that aesthetic.
0: I kind of want to believe Condorman and Harry. Like Harry was his navigator in Death Race. <laughs> that would that would actually be pretty great.
1: Oh man, Man's just one of the racers up against Frankenstein <laughs> and uh,
0: Joe Viterbo. Yes, uh, I that like would it. Be awesome. That that seems about right. Um but you know I mean Death Race budget was higher than Connor man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just you know I- I, I, I'm getting lost in and trying to be positive, which just sucks because so of like
0: you don't have to be positive. Like so, I know like when we posted about this like a uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, Christina, who's been on talking before about you know her her job and what she does, and we appreciate the support. She enjoys this movie. She enjoys watching it with her father, and that's cool. Like I remember this as a kid. I think I think I remember more about the suit that I do about the film, and it kind of imprinted on me a little bit. So I I think this is one of those things that you grew up with as like something that you remember watching with your family and having fun with sure like i'm sure the comedy maybe holds up for you watching this after seeing after watching richard Donner's superman which i again shouldn't judge condor man on superman <laughs> like this masterful like you know portrayal of a hero with source material and condor man doesn't come from anything which you shouldn't judge it on its lack of um, background it should be judged on its own and i get that because steve and i've talked about previously about talking about the film darkman that had no it was just a movie it had no previous material leading up to right. darkman and i like that movie a great deal um i shouldn't judge it based upon superman but however i you said before condor man wouldn't exist without superman and i feel like disney was trying to franchise build with something and yeah. it, it just it and it, it, it tries to it tries to be a superhero movie, like you said, like ten percent, mostly a spy film, but then it also tries to be a goof. And like it, the fact that they got Henry Mancini to do the theme when he did all the music for the Pink Panther films, that says a lot to me. And the fact that they, they use the source material from a guy who wrote books that were more absurd and comedic and, and some of his stories speaks a lot to me. When you have a comedy writer that wrote for a, a lamb puppet, speaks a lot to me. Like It shows to me that they were really, really trying to be like, well, if we have enough funny things going on and enough like cues and winking at the people that this is going to be a fun movie, that it will be a fun movie. Maybe this was a blast to work on. Maybe Oliver Reed, before he had eight drinks, was a lot of fun to be around. I don't know. Maybe probably not. The fact that he's, the very first scene you see him and he's just holding a glass of wine. I told my wife, I was like, "Here we go." Like I just <laughs> knew. Like you know, and, and, like and the fact that like, I, I guess I shouldn't blame. I shouldn't blame um, uh, Michael Crawford. I just he might be funny and and great for what he does. Uh, but I don't think he was necessarily the right fit for something like this. Yeah. Um, but it was just a weird... It's just one of those things, like, this came in 81, but this definitely feels like a 70s film. Like, yeah. the fact that this came out the same weekend when Raiders of the Lost Ark was number one, this film feels 10 years before Raiders. Yeah. yeah it feels 10 I, years yeah. before Superman. Like, yeah. it does.
1: It <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's not even, you know, in a good campy way like the Batman 66. Like, there's... It's not campy, so it's not funny. Or, I mean, it's not...
0: It tries to be funny, which I think is... like Yeah. Like, I... I and... I guess I'm a hypocrite because a lot of the modern Marvel films, I enjoyed that. They, even though I feel like Thor Ragnarok leaned too far into the jokes, I still appreciate that there's humor along the way. Even black Panther had jokes that worked, you yeah. know, like, and that's a very, that's a much more serious film and tone than Ragnarok or guardians of the galaxy or whatever. Um, so humor can work in these kind of films. Humors can work kind of a spy film. um, Actually, I'm trying to think of what a funny funny spy film would be, and I'm kind of blanking right now as to what was a funny spy film.
1: Well, I mean, you got Austin Powers. Well, okay, there you go.
0: That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of that's kind of that kind of tears down this whole mentality of like the international man of mystery, right? So right. yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just, man, I, I feel like someone was like, that's funny, as opposed to, is that honestly entertaining? Right. And I, that that I just, and then you have people like. Um, the stunt coordinator for the car stunts did um, did other like legitimate projects. I didn't write this down here, and he said, "You got to do these right because if you don't do them well, people are just going to dismiss them as every other car stunt they've seen." The car stunts in this film weren't bad, no, um, but it's like because the rest of this film was like a goofy, you know, spy film, and then you have the the henchman too, which we didn't mention him, uh, Morovich, who has the silver eye. I don't know why. He, yeah. It's I like mean, he belonged, he belonged, him and Krakow belonged in a Bond film. Right. Like Oliver Reed as a Bond villain, and not only as Bond, but as a Bond villain with Krakow would have been great. Yeah. But they're in a speedboat with missiles chasing after Condor Man in his Condor boat, which Condor Man has a laser cannon. Again, if the U.S. government can develop that on a whim, why weren't there more lasers? That just felt very, like very <laughs> weird.
1: Yeah. And. I, You know, I guess it speaks to that time that Disney was just so out of touch, maybe, might be the best way to put it, in the sense that, like, they just didn't quite understand what modern audiences liked or what modern movies were. Because, um, I mean, you know, another unfortunate aspect of watching the movie because the only way I could find it was renting it on YouTube and I know that that's how you got it as well. There is clearly... We won like, our $6 <laughs> <back>. <laughs> There was clearly no effort into no. put into it because it was certainly... It was full frame. Um and, uh, like there was no, like, oh, we had a great print of it or anything like that. Like, I don't think there's, there's ever been a great print of there's Condor,
0: was... man. I don't think there's, yeah. <laughs> they're like, is there dirt in the gate? Doesn't matter. Print it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> print it. So I. Oliver Reed spilled wine all over it. Don't care. Just print it. It's fine.
1: <laughs> um, you know, and if I'm, I'm ranking it against the other films that we watch, it's definitely, uh, I don't know if it falls below the burning. I mean, a tour is still well, the, the, yeah so our,
0: our a tour scale, which, um, is basically is this something that isn't watchable? I would I would say condor man is watchable if it's with people around you that have never seen condor man. Or
1: you're really drunk.
0: Yes. Yes. If you're if you're all over Reed drunk and even and the rest of the people around you have not seen it, then yes, punish people with condor man. But I feel like that that would be it, but it would also be kind of one of those ones that you could just turn on in, in the background and whenever they got to the car chase or the boat chase or any of that stuff people could stop and be like what is going on like yeah. like um like we watched uh, Megaforce recently for when we had people over for my super bro party and i can't tell you a thing about that movie other than like there were some visuals I'm like i don't know what's going on but this is amazing right so you know it, it it's it's <laughs> A tour, I think I could probably watch again with people and have a good time with, uh, the burning. I don't think I'd ever come back to. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. This one's a weird one just because it, it tries and you can see it trying the entire time and it it's just falls on its keys repeatedly. And, um, I would I would even argue that hurts in the right place. Like it, I just I feel like you got a director that knew how to do like period piece costume dramas. So he didn't really have a note like a nose for comedy. You had stunt coordinators that were adding like legitimacy to the stunts, but they, there's no physical comedy in the stunts. Um, you have like some Disney executives who are like, well, what if we put a bird in it? You know, like that, that's that's what it feels like to me. And we, if we animate the beginning to let people know that the animated beginning is a Disney film. This is like this is an odd duck of a film, and not to use another bird analogy, but I if I don't know if this type of genre mashup would exist now. Right. I mean, would
1: you say it was foul? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm proud of myself. Yeah,
0: there you go. So, it doesn't succeed. And it has this promise of a sequel that we'll never get, thank goodness. But Disney was so confident that there would be a sequel, that that there was a sequel planned. When the movie flopped, they just stopped it. And also, there was um, Baskin-Robbins, I want to say, at the time. This is all the tie-ins. They had a Condor Crunch flavor available that that they probably thought tasted funny, but probably wasn't funny at all. Um, So, I just... The fact that you see him use the, the rig, the condor rig at the very beginning and it fails, and then you see him use it at the very end, it's like that's the only condoring you see the entire time, right? And then the whole main conceit is that the US government's like, He's unconventional, he gets results. No, is anybody watching this guy's an idiot the entire time, just trying to get in the pants of the Russian agent, which at the time, I, I guess, Disney was after the film came out, someone of the executives was like, It's the sexiest Disney film ever put out. And I'm like, Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know, but uh, so uh, to put a button on this, uh, after Disney uh, acquired Marvel in 2009, I saw this note. The Amazing Spider-Man editor at the time, Stephen Wacker, lobbied to have Condor Man brought into the Marvel Universe. I kind of want to see that, <laughs> like not not necessarily like a hardcore serious thing, but like could you imagine like someone someone inspired by heroes to be like you know I could build my own suit I could do this kind of like the Prowler kind of thing where it's like I could do some good I can build a suit you know I think that'd be a nice nod to bring him into the MC. not maybe not not into the movies maybe but man. I could see this guy being like a D-lister in like a Great Lakes Avenger or something. That would be so much fun to bring Condor Man into the Marvel Universe. And then he jumps off a building and dies in the second page. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, considering that we just got a Spider-Man Homecoming film, which had the Vulture, and a much more, much more uh, believable rig.
1: Yes. <laughs> And I mean, yes. I mean, to be fair, yes, that had and a uh, Michael Keaton that played a Birdman previously. <laughs> that certainly had a uh, higher production <laughs> value, and you know, thirty years with the technology ah, behind that's it. True. You know, but uh, yeah, I I feel like Condor Man was of of the Disney films that I know of that time. I feel like it was a bigger swing and a miss. Than anything that they were putting out, like you can point to Tron and be like, "Yeah, I can see why it didn't connect with audiences," or you can, you know, even even my favorite, which is something wicked wit this way it comes. I can point to it and go like, "Yeah, I can kind of see why it didn't connect with audiences at the time." This is just complete misfire. Like it's
0: <laughs> just it's like a cane that will stop shooting bullets exactly. and you fall down. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: it's the Jar Jar Binks of uh, oh, of uh, uh Disney I'll movies.
0: That's it. fine. So yeah, I don't know, like um. It is what it is, what it is, I guess and the fact that like, I, again, I don't regret watching it cause it, it's just something that I like experiencing things. Either I have seen and forgotten or just, I haven't seen before. And after watching Richard Donner Superman, which I've not seen in a long time, if this was the impetus for me to watch Superman again, that's fine. It's worth my hour and a half. It's worth my $3. Um, and I'm glad we got to talk about it cause I knew you were going to have opinions about this film and I appreciated it <laughs> when I changed my Facebook profile picture to Condor man, it wasn't because of love. It was more because of absurdity. And I kind of like this, the, the image, the image is interesting. Knowing what it represents is not right. <laughs> you know, and I, that's terrible. That's terrible to think that, you know, but you know, whatever and it is. So, so yeah, that's it. That's it for Condor man. Um, you know, watch it if you want. It's $3, you know. Uh, buyer beware. I, I mean, think,
1: maybe if you have it on DVD, uh, yeah. you know, uh, that was my first option was like, oh, I'll see if I can f- pick it up on DVD. But I feel like on eBay, like the cheapest copy I could find was
0: $25. And- That's like $22 more than it's probably worth. So, yeah. I, so, again, it, it, I don't think it learned a lesson, Superman, in terms of like earnestness and, and some humor. Um, I don't think that... I don't think it was necessarily a superhero film. I think they're trying to slap on the precipice of a comic writer. So it was kind of, it was kind of meta before it was meta. Yeah. I don't think that worked very well. Um, as a spy thriller spoof thing, I don't think that worked very well either as a pink Panther type of like, this is more of a pink Panther knockoff than a Superman. I don't think that worked either. Um, the music's pretty good. And if you get just pay attention, you're going to hear the condor man theme at the end. That's your bonus right there. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm coming back to this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to, you know, if you want to look at our rankings every month, you know, I'm going to say our our, our (laughs) near the (laughs) knockoff power rankings. This one out of the three that we've watched so far comes in second, but that's only because of the weird sexual stuff (laughs) surrounding the burning. So.
0: That's fair. It, it, you know, it's, it's this has a better soundtrack it. than the Burning. I'll that's say that true, yeah. and it has a better Condor Man than the Burning. Um, and I don't know what that means. So anyway, percent more Condor Man. So that's gonna do it for us this week. If you guys uh, have any recommendations for films that we should watch, like a good, like the good like pedestal film and then the one chasing it, please let us know. Cause we have some really great ideas. We'll, we'll share them later. Um, we're going to try to like I said once a month, try to get to this. We're on our Facebook page at invasion of the podcast. You can find us there. We're on a uh, Twitter at invading podcast, uh, invading podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know your thoughts, feelings. If maybe you love condor man, maybe you're, you're like our friend uh, Christina who loves this film. And again, I apologize. You like this film. We didn't mean to tear it apart, but kind of fell into the river by the Eiffel tower. That's what, that's what I felt like. It flew too close to the sun, and by too close, I mean six feet off the ground. That fell into the water. Um, next week, uh, we're back to our regular show. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at um, the last Starfighter. Uh, you guys thought we we're going to be talking about Ready Player One? No, we're going to go back further to nostalgia and video games and look at the last Starfighter. Yeah.
1: Uh you know not tipping our hands too much but i think we're both big fans of the movie so
0: (laughs) yeah so that's gonna do it for us this week uh so i hope you enjoyed our conversation about superman and condor man and until then just remember condor man condor man condor man